Well, good afternoon today. Uh, Karen and I will be sitting down with Ms. Jennifer Kirkland from Grand Junction, Colorado. Jennifer, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Jennifer, can you give us a little bit of an idea as to what you do over at Grand Junction and just a brief overview of your job there? Sure. So I'm the Communications Center Manager for Grand Junction Regional Communications Center. We are the largest PSAP on the western half of Colorado, which is known as the Western Slope. We are a 16 position for desks in our comm center and our staffing is 56 when we're fully staffed. Um, we serve a population of all of Mesa County, which is approximately 160,000 people. And we do about a little over 300,000 uh, calls every year. Uh, that is, that's a big center. How long have you been the communications director over there? So I've been here for almost two years. In, in that position? Yes. How long have you been in uh, 911 in the industry? I just celebrated my 20th year in 911. Um, prior to coming to Grand Junction, I worked at the Vail Public Safety Communications Center in Vail, Colorado, in the middle of the state, and started as a dispatcher and rose up through the ranks, became a trainer, became a supervisor. Um, I was interim director there for about six months, and then I finished out my career there as operations uh, manager for about seven years. That's awesome. So that means you started with 911 in 2001 as a dispatcher? Yep. At Vail. So that's amazing. What made you want to get into 911 in the first place? Well, it's funny. Um, I came to 911 by accident, like so many of us do. Um, I was working for a mom and pop cell phone store, and the fire chief in Vail at the time uh, recruited me for my customer service skills. It didn't hurt things that his wife was the recruiting uh, and hiring manager there in Vail. And so um, back then, as now, they were always looking for people and always uh, fighting the short staffing. And so when he found that I had good customer service skills, he recommended that I test. And I applied and got hired. And the rest is history, as they say. Were you at all nervous about getting involved with that one? Did that seem a little scary? No, it really didn't. Um, my boyfriend at the time, who became my husband, he was a volunteer firefighter in Eagle County and had been for many years. Wow. So it wasn't an un an unfamiliar world. Of course, I didn't know anything about 911 beyond what you knew, what anybody knew. You know, you learn it in school. You call 911 when there's an emergency. Uh, my first exposure to the 911 world from the inside was my sit-along that I did while I was uh, in the hiring process. Um, but I wasn't intimidated, mostly because I had been listening to the fire radio uh, on our bedside table for a couple of years at that point. In fact, one of the things I had to learn in training was to actually listen to the radio because I had gotten really good at tuning it out. <laughs> that's, that's funny, actually. <laughs> um, well... So did you get into 911 with the intention of staying after you were hired, or was it always a temporary position that became permanent? Well, you know, when I, I've always been the type of person that when I got a job, I was in it for a commitment. Um, I did actually get to a point about two and a half years after I was hired. I got to a point where I was jaded and wanted to get out, and I went so far as to get hired somewhere else. I had given my notice. Um, my police chief at the time sat me down and said, why are you leaving? And I 
told him why I was leaving and he asked me to stay and we came to terms of an agreement and um, I stayed. And so I'm profoundly grateful to him for seeing potential in me where I maybe didn't see it myself and convincing me to give it another shot. Um, I wouldn't obviously be here if that hadn't happened. So um, it became a career after that point. I, you know, when I stayed and the conditions in the communication center got better and I realized that there were a lot of opportunities open to me that I didn't realize before. And I think sometimes at line level, um, we don't see that and it's incumbent upon us as leaders to show our line level folks how it can be a career and all the different ways that it can become a career and you can still challenge yourself while staying in 911. That's amazing. That was your police chief that really sat you down and he's one who convinced you to stay longer and make a career out of this stuff. Yep, he did. I had to turn around and tell my new job that I was actually going to stay at my previous job. So that was an interesting experience. But uh, <laughs> and it's a small valley. So I had actually got gotten a job as the office manager of my doctor's office. So that made it a little awkward for a couple of years afterward. I would still go to the doctor and they'd be like, oh, hey, it's you. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fine. And my police chief is still police chief there. In fact, he is now serving as president of International Association of Chiefs of Police this year. So he's still there, too. Wow. wow. You guys still communicate? Are still uh, friends? Yeah, we still communicate. That's awesome. That's awesome. So at what point did you move from uh, becoming a dispatcher and then becoming the communication director? So uh, my career path, like I said, I became a trainer and I got pretty passionate about training. Um, I enjoy teaching adults and I enjoy helping people get through the little hurdles that come in training. Um, and then I, in 2009, my center sent me to the communication center manager program or CCM that's put on with Fitch and Associates and the International Academies of Emergency Dispatch. Um, the tagline for that class is two weeks that will change your life, which can sound pretty hokey, but for me it was true. Um, and the skills and the knowledge that I gained there helped me see how I could make a difference. The other thing that happened around that time was someone, um, and I still don't know who, nominated me to serve on the board of our local uh, NINA chapter. Um, and so I was elected to that position, and that helped me see how I could help 911 at the state level and not just be um, within the walls of our communication center. So the combination of those two things really ignited in me a passion for serving others, that is leadership. And so I, when the opportunity to uh, apply for a supervisor position came up, I took that and was promoted um, and have made a hundred different mistakes uh, as a supervisor and learned and had growth opportunities through that. So when I, um, I served as a supervisor for many years and then when our director left, um, I served as the interim director for about six months. Um, six months is a long time to be interim, by the way, for all of you leaders out there listening, I encourage a shorter interim period. Um, and then after that, um, they hired someone from the outside and they needed someone to kind of assist that person in getting their feet under them. So they created a temporary operations manager position that we turned into a full-time and permanent operations manager position at Vail. 
and I served in that capacity for about seven years before I came here to Grand Junction. Um, I had worked with Grand Junction's comm center at the state level uh, for several years. Um, I knew the previous manager and I knew the current manager, Paula Creasy. And so when Paula announced her retirement, uh, the time was right for my family to make a move and a change. And so I applied for the position and was over the moon thrilled to get it. So we moved down to Grand Junction in the space of about a couple of months. And I took over the communications center manager position in December of 2019. And I had all these plans about how we were gonna provide stability to the comm center because they'd gone through a lot of change. And of course, COVID had other plans for us. <laughs> so oh my it's been a wild ride, but man, we have a great team, uh, an amazing team of people to work with here. And so we've gone through it together, just like every comp center in the country has. That's incredible. So besides um, your husband, your old police chief, do you, have, do you have any more mentors along the way that we really kept you flying the state in this industry? Yeah, so through the Comm Center Manager course, the CCM course, um, I had the privilege of meeting Jay Fitch. Uh, Jay Fitch is the founding partner of Fitch and Associates, and he's been a great mentor to me, um, not so much in career, but just in how to be a better leader in general. Um, I had the privilege to be mentored by Carlin Page at International Academies of Emergency Dispatch. And she is the one, when they were looking for new faculty members to come on to the CCM faculty, um, she thought of me and offered the opportunity to come and see if that would be a fit, and it was. So I've had the great privilege uh, to actually become a core faculty member for the CCM program. Um, through Nina, I've had several mentors through Nina, uh, Ty Wooten being one, um, through my actions or my activities with the state chapter, um, I became aware of Nina, the organization, and also APCO. And so when Nina's Education Advisory Board had an opening, I applied for and was accepted onto the what's known as the EAB. And the EAB is responsible for putting together and developing the curricula for Nina's course catalog, which is extensive. And I've had the privilege to teach for Nina as well traveling around the country. And now with COVID, um, we do our instructor-led online. So all of these different things to do and people to meet and network with along the way, it's hard to single out any one or two people as mentors because I've had the privilege of meeting so many amazing people in the 911 industry um, who have all influenced me and helped me to be a better person in some way, shape, or form. Um, we have uh, we have a strong 911 community in Colorado at the state level, and several years ago we were inspired to create a training standards committee by Daryl Branton, who's now our state 911 program coordinator uh, at the at the state level, and he's been an amazing mentor as well because he just has so many of these great ideas and is really good at getting people behind him to, to carry out those ideas. Um, and so through that state training standards committee, we actually worked together in pre-COVID and pre-Zoom times. We would travel around the state, we would hold monthly meetings at different locations to gain participation. And over the course of three years, there were a pretty strong core committed group of people from over 20 PSAPs in Colorado who got together and put together a basic telecommunicator course. 
that we could offer for free because we wanted all the telecommunicators in Colorado to have a base level of training, um, which, as you know, in the comm center world is sometimes hard to find, especially if the, the smaller centers don't have the funding or the large centers ne didn't necessarily have the time um, or the resources to do that. So trying to pick out one or two people is difficult um, because I've been blessed to come into contact with so many people along the way who have really helped shape who I am and, and my leadership. Deborah, it does sound like training is your, your forte and playing you love to do is work with individuals and get them to where they need to be. I, I want to ask this question. I know Karen wants to get into you know, the council, all the all the individuals like the wages, the benefits of getting into that one and how that works out. But I want to ask one another fun question. Who is, what is your favorite success story of an individual you work with and train? And how many of you love to do and why you love to do it? And you get to pick one. Hey, I don't know if I could pick just one. Um, wow, that's a really tough one because, you know, I've had the privilege to directly train when I was a trainer in and many of those people have gone on to become supervisors. Um, I've had the privilege to train with CCM since 2014 and so many of those people have gone on to be great comm center leaders and comm center managers and do all kinds of amazing things. I'm not sure I could, I'm not sure I could pick just one. I'm so sorry, but there's just so many success stories. I mean, not because of me, but because of the people who had the courage to keep learning and to try new things and to keep going when it got hard. And I'm just proud of every single one of them who fulfilled their career goals, even if those goals didn't necessarily include staying in 911. Because when we go out and, and work in our passion, we make the world a better place. Right. What about your favorite program you have to leave? Well, that's a tough one, too, because um, I love working with the Education Advisory Board. Uh, I had the privilege to put together their supervisor course, which I'm super proud of. Um, we're going around and training new supervisors. Um, I've had the privilege to put together the Advanced Police Dispatch and the Enhanced Caller Management courses, um, which I'm proud of. The Training Standards Committee that we did in Colorado when Nina put together their online core competencies class, which just debuted this year, they actually took as the basis for that the material that Colorado had put together. So I'm extremely proud that this grassroots organization that we had in Colorado provided the curriculum for Nina's national core competencies class. Um, and that was wholly grassroots and voluntary. Um, and so, you know, I've just been incredibly fortunate to be involved in a lot of things that really make a difference in people's lives and help create better 911 telecommunicators and better leaders across the country. Thank you for all that through, through COVID and seeing that transition from in-person to Zoom training and all the change that brings and let alone taking over at a brand new PSAP. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I had to, you know, I had to make a lot of changes in people's lives that they didn't really know me and I didn't get a chance to show them my leadership philosophy really before we had to say, oh, now we're going to wear masks every day. Now we have to stay six feet apart. Now we have to, 
you know, here's the COVID leave changes and you have to call in sick when you don't want to, because in 911, that's what we do. We come to work sick and we get the job done and that kind of thing. And now we can't do that. And so um, I really credit my team with having a lot of um, courage to trust me when they didn't know me. Um, I had great leadership from my deputy chief, but I also had a really good team of people who were willing to go along with me and and stay in dialogue about a lot of these things that were unpleasant and none of us really wanted to do. Yeah, I, everything about the pandemic are difficult. And becoming the new person, having to direct people who don't really know who you are mm-hmm. and you don't know who they are, it's hard. It's very difficult. But it sounds like you were very blessed with a fantastic team. That oh, yeah. you got to have over at That's just incredible. And I know Karen wants me to definitely get into some more management styles of, um, of how you run things, the talent pools, how you find, how you collect talent. So, Karen, if you wanted to uh, go ahead and take over. Absolutely. Um, Jennifer, it's great to have you here with us today. And you have an amazing career, and the career path that you've taken has given you so many different challenges and opportunities, it's nice that you recognize the line staff may not realize how many different opportunities that they have as a career in 911. 20 years ago, you weren't aware of so many different groups, organizations, people you would touch, people you would train and push on to bigger and better things. And I think it's an amazing thing that you've embraced. And I applaud you for everything you've done in the Colorado 911 world. Um, It seems that the team you have at Grand Junction is extensive. So you have a pretty large support staff. Can you elaborate a bit on that as compared to perhaps Vail? where it was a smaller PSAP? Sure. Um, so Vail, when they're fully staffed, they have 24, including a director. Um, they have a staff of four, I'm sorry, five supervisors, and the rest are line-level telecommunicators. Um, so, and their county, their county is about half of Mesa County. So when I switched from Vail to Mesa County, it was double in every way. It was double in the number of desks. It was double in the number of employees. It was double in the number of um, population and call volume and even agencies that we dispatch for. But there's also a lot of similarities. We uh, Both comm centers are multidisciplinary, dispatching police, fire, EMS. Um, we had worked together um, in the regional format over, this, over several years. So we had a lot of the same philosophy. In fact, I had as a CTO instructor, I had trained a lot of Mesa County's CTOs in how to be nice. trainers. So we had a lot of overlap there. Um, the The main difference that has struck me is just the, the call volume. When you look at Mesa County and when you come into our floor, the dispatchers are busy all day, all day long. They're taking calls. Um, the call takers here, that's their sole focus. They're not required to also dispatch. They have clear dispatching functions if that's what their job is that day, or if they're on call taking, they're call taking and they're busy all day long. So it's imperative that we give them a lunch break away from the floor so that they can get a chance to refresh and take a break. 
Um, we are fortunate enough that if they need to get up and take a break after a call, they can do that and somebody else can pick up the slack. Um, in Vail, the supervisors are working supervisors in that they are they might have a channel to be responsible for as well as watching the room. But in Mesa County here in Grand Junction, it's too busy for that. And so the supervisor's sole job is to supervise and answer questions and provide support and guidance throughout the day. They'll pick up a phone call if the comm center is overwhelmed, of course, but their primary responsibility is to remain that level of support for the, the line level. Um, so those are the major differences. And for personally, for me, trying to wrap my head around double the staff, you know, if you want to go out and buy a little gift for your dispatchers uh, as a supervisor in Vail, when you only have about 18, it, that's pretty easy. Your your cost investment is, is low. But if you want to go out and get a little gift for 55 people, even if it's a dollar gift, you're looking at a little bit more of an investment. So, of course making sure that the budget, the, the official budget is sufficient enough to support that many people is imperative, uh, as well as your own personal fork out. If you're gonna do that, like, you know, buying little gifts for people, you just have to, you have to budget a little differently. Sure, so you're challenged to uh, give appreciation to your staff um, and show them that they're doing a great job aside from the verbal kudos and you're doing well to give a little token of your appreciation. I think a lot of dispatchers do appreciate that even if it's a small gesture. I think so too and uh, what I have learned over the years is that it doesn't, the, the things that mean the most to people are the ones that don't cost anything but time. For example, I really try to find two or three people every week that I can write a handwritten thank you note to. And some weeks it's, wow, thank you so much for working extra overtime this week. Or if it's a supervisor who comes in and helps out with pulling audio requests, I'll put a little note in their locker. Um, or even if, you know, someone, like we had a telecommunicator take a call last week um, involving a small child and this child couldn't get their parents to wake up. They were small enough, they didn't know their address, and so our call taker stayed on the line with them for quite a little while using their phase two tools and rapid SOS to get help over to where this kiddo was calling. Thank goodness he called 911. Um, but, you know, little yeah. things like that, it just, it helps when people have a, a boss that sees their effort right and acknowledges their effort it doesn't have to be in a huge public way but knowing that they're working for someone who sees and recognizes their work specifically i think goes a long way um, of course we have a recognition committee and we have a budget and they do more formal gifts for telecommunicator week or in the fall and you know right now we've got orders out for um, fleece coats with our logo on them for our christmas gifts and that kind of thing and those things matter but I really think it's the personal attention and the personal um, acknowledgement of the hardships that they go through every day that go a long way toward making people feel valued and ultimately want to stay. I would agree with you. I think that that's a huge part of being a, a telecommunicator or a dispatcher, especially today. Um, you have that intrinsic value to the job you're doing and it makes you feel good at the end of the day you've touched so many people's lives in a positive way even in their worst time mm -hmm. of calling 911. 
Yeah, but I think so. people, um, I think people sometimes forget that when they've taken the sixth call in a row where they've been yelled at and called names and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's even more important that the supervisors and the leader and the manager, you know, recognizes, hey, yeah, you had to deal with six people who called you awful names, but look what you did over here. Yeah, and I think that with a leader such as you, you change the culture of an organization. And then the peer-to-peer -peer support is there, that you may not be in the room, but your partner may have just taken a horrible call or three or four in a row, and your coworker or colleague says, hey, you did a really great job. Can I get you some coffee? Do you need to take a break? Um, that sort of thing really goes a long way to enticing people to stay within the organization. You said at the beginning of our podcast here that after two years you were kind of not feeling it and not feeling that you were making a difference and I think it was your fire chief who sat you down and said hey Jennifer this is really what you're doing and how you're making a difference and caused you to take a second look and now 20 years later you've just flourished and changed so many other telecommunicators lives to stay within the business um, what do you see now in trying to recruit people that's different over the course of the last 20 years? Well, has it changed much? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, sorry. I don't think I'm saying anything new when I acknowledge that we are in a recruiting crisis, the likes of which we've never seen. Um, the great resignation or the great attrition or whatever you want to call it that's going on right now is very real. I know a colleague who um, just chucked their 14-year career in EMS because she lost her mother about a month ago and reprioritized her life and said, you know what, I want to spend more time with my kids. So she quit her EMS job and got a job as a bus driver for her kids' school district. And now she's t when her kids are off, she's off. And people are doing that on a large scale. So, and I applaud her, by the way, there's no judgment. I, I fully believe that people should live their values, but I think it's incumbent now more than ever for 911 centers to make sure that their values are aligned with their employees' values and to treat people in such a way that they, that they want to stay. Um, there are a lot of things that we have a hard time controlling in 911. For example, shift work is a real thing. So if people don't want to work shift, we're, we're going to have a hard time recruiting them. Um, of course, it's a, it's a tough time in law enforcement right now. And so if your comm center is involved with dispatching law enforcement or if it's under the police department's chain of command like ours is, we have, might have a hard time recruiting people who don't want to be involved with law enforcement. Um, and I, of course, throw no shade to law enforcement. It's just a, a reality that we're facing right now. So when we're recruiting, I think we need to, I think recruiting actually starts with retention because if you're building an environment where people want to stay, then when you're recruiting, you can show people what is in it for them. And I think right now, in order for people to wanna to come to work, they need to know what's in it for them. So you have to try and appeal to a broad range. For some people, knowing that they make a difference when they come to work, that might appeal to them. For other people, the benefits that your agency might offer, um, and shift work could be one of those benefits, by the way. The nine to five life doesn't work for every family. 
or every um, person. And so the benefits of shift work can be touted. Um, if they want a job that's close to their home, maybe that's a um, recruiting point. If they want, if you live in a place where there's a lot of outdoor activities like we do, um, maybe that's a recruiting point. So you have to recruit and appeal to a very broad base, I think, of people who uh, might not be considering. You also have to get the word out about what a 911 professional does because most people, when they get their information, they're either getting it from the 911 Fox show or they're getting it from emergency call um, or they're getting it from news stories. And unfortunately, most of the news stories on 911 are when we mess up and they don't widely report the great work that's being done every day. So we need to be really good about getting the message out about what we do and how what we do makes a difference and what are the benefits and all of those things need to be thought about when recruiting. And then when you go out and recruit, you need to cast as wide a net as you possibly can. <laughs> well said. Um, I think another thing that turns people away is the constant scrutiny. You're recorded and evaluated on every single word or phrase that you do the entire time you're working. So I think that um, scares people off. I think it does. Um, so you definitely have to overcome that. Um, I think a lot of people also don't see themselves in that role. And so it's our job as agencies that are recruiting to show them that they would be good at it. Um, for example, um, just the other, and this is just fresh in my mind because it just happened, but the wonderful lady who cleans for our, our building here at the city, I happened to walk by her and she had her back to me and I said, hey, and, and said her name. And without even turning around, she said, hey, Jen. I'm like, wow, that's really good voice recognition. Have you ever thought about 911? Because people don't, they don't necessarily see themselves in that role because they don't know what we do. But if we recognize, hey, multitasking is a really good skill or voice recognition, that's a really good skill and could translate. Then when we go out into the world and we're just living our lives, like we go to a restaurant and recruit the, the waiter or the waitress or going to the airport and recruiting the gate agents or, you know, the people that we come across in our daily lives that would be a really good 911 professional, we have to put the bug in their head because possibly they haven't applied with us because they just haven't considered that their skill set could be useful in that way and they don't know. It's our job to show them. Sure, that the veterans in the business need to spread the word. Mm -hmm. um, your uh, website has a really great great recruiting video that a lot of time and energy was put into and as I shared with you earlier it if I didn't have a family and roots here in Ohio it made me want to join you in Colorado so tell me a little bit about that recruiting video and how you were able to get that much focus from your leadership team to devote to that well, thanks for asking. I'm actually super proud of that video and I cannot take any of that credit because that was in the works when I got here. Um, we were fortunate enough to have um, support from our police leadership because we're under the police department and they have a great PIO or community relations person 
they had done a recruiting video for the police side of it, and they wanted to do one for the communication center side. And so they were, um, retained the services of a local production company who developed a script and sat down with us and said, well, what, are you gonna, what do you want to convey? And really worked with us so that they could get the, the feel and the tenor of the video right. And then worked with us to do professional video recording um, following not like uh, not necessarily a script, but an outline. So we wanted to showcase the uh, amazing work-life benefits that we have with our outdoor opportunities and you know all the work, all the things that you can do outside of work, and how family-friendly we are as an agency. And we really wanted to highlight that when you come to work, your work makes a difference. And we wanted to highlight all the different ways that you can make a difference, like with our incident dispatch team. Um, we have peer support here. We have all kinds of different ways to be involved besides just doing the job, if that's what people want. And so because we were able to work with the, ser the services of a professional video company, we had the video done professionally, and then he edited it and turned out um, a product that honestly makes me cry every time I watch it because it really, to me, conveys why maybe not why people get into the job, although, you know, everybody, when you interview them, why do you want to work in 911? Well, I want to help my community or I want to make a difference. That's fantastic. But I think the video does a good job of showing how you can make a difference and why it matters so much. And for the people that you're trying to recruit that you're appealing to their heart, I think the video does a really great job of that. I think so too. It also shows that in a communication center, you're a family, uh, that you're with your coworkers 40, 50 hours a week, and you make a difference in other people's lives, but they also, and you make a difference in each other's lives, caring for, you know, when children are born, marriages, deaths, all the good and bad that comes with living, you see that in your comm center family. And that video production really shows it. And I think that does a lot to entice people to perhaps think of 911 dispatching as a career. Whereas, as you said before, people don't see themselves in that role or don't think of it. And unless someone gives you a, a little nudge to say, hey, maybe try this, um, someone might not consider it. So wages and benefits are a big plus for everyone. What do you think helps people stay besides the wages and benefits um, to end their career as a 911 dispatcher? Well, I want to touch on something you said, actually, um, about being a family and with retention. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier as far as communication center culture. Um, I try to teach people all the time, both within my own center and through the teaching opportunities that I have, that it's the line level staff that make the biggest difference as to whether people stay or go in a communication center. Because if you're going to spend 40 and 50 and sometimes, unfortunately, 60 hours a week with someone, if the person sitting next to you makes your life a living hell, you're going to quit. It doesn't matter how good your leadership is. It doesn't matter how good the benefits and the pay are. If you hate going to work, you're going to quit. And so it 
it's important that the line level people really are incentivized to treat each other well and create that environment in which people want to stay because that has more to do with people uh, staying or going really honestly than anything else. So as we, um, and your leadership has a direct role in that and the supervisor team uh, has a direct role in that because the supervisor team is responsible for holding people accountable to agreed upon standards of behavior. And behavior is absolutely something that you can request people from, right? So when we talk about attitude and behavior, you can't require someone to have a good attitude because that's, you know, that's on them. But you can require someone to behave in such a way that it makes the, the environment acceptable for all. So I really think that we need to work on making sure that our line level are incentivized to treat each other well because they're the ones that have the most effect and the supervisor's not gonna be in the room every, every minute and I'm certainly not gonna be in the room every minute. So we need to make sure that they are treating each other well. And then as far as um, what else invites people to stay, um, a lot of, one of the things that we've been spending a lot of time working on here in Grand Junction is what can we offer that they can't get at other jobs, right? So yes, I think it's great that we deliver babies and we save CP people's lives with CPR. And I think that's wonderful and I'm not discounting it, but what else can we offer? So we're looking at things like the opportunity to grow your career. Are we able to send people out for training? Can we send people out to conferences? Because that's the way that people get re-energized and also they start to see that here are ways that they can make a difference beyond sitting down for 40 hours a week and taking calls and dispatching, which is very important, but people need challenges. So incident dispatch team, can we get them out of the center and dispatching in the field? We were, excuse me, blessed to send four people out on wildfire deployments this year, and they all got to go out and get that kind of experience and really have that kind of um exposure to the job in a different way and still be paid for it. Um, sending people to conferences and to training classes is fantastic because then they get to get out and see what other centers are doing. They get the benefit of the training, um, but we're investing in them and their careers. And knowing that your boss invests in your career can be one of those things that is not tangible, but keeps people in the job and overcomes the not so great parts of it, like getting called names and dealing with responders that don't understand and shift work and that kind of thing. Um, my people went to an FBI LIDA class earlier this year and came back with an idea that I really wanna implement, which is providing healthy meals for people so that they don't have to spend time meal planning or grocery shopping or that kind of thing, um, or don't have to rely on fast food. And so one of the things I'm, I would like to work on in 2022 is to do a pilot program and proof of concept. And if people like it and it proves to be beneficial, then I wanna put it in the budget to have at least, at least one meal a shift that they don't have to meal plan for that is healthy, that they get to choose what the, the meal is and it's there waiting for them at their, at their, you know, in their fridge or for them when they come to work. And it's one less thing that they have on their plate, haha. And one more <laughs> benefit that we provide that helps them A, feel appreciated, but B, it's an added value that they wouldn't get somewhere else. 
So we're constantly trying to think, what can we do to add value to their lives that makes them want to stay versus want to leave? And I think comm centers right now really have to be thinking about that because recruiting is one thing, but retention, it's much better to retain the person that you've already trained up and has that institutional knowledge uh, than to drive them out. Well said. Um, I think recognizing new ways to retain them and doing a meal plan is huge. I know in in my career, breakfast, lunch, and dinner was always the highlight of your shift work. Uh, what Did you bring something? Did you plan? Did you not? Um, so to recognize that and maybe bring the focus on healthy eating is something to improve life of a dispatcher in the comm center. Um, there's a lot of uh, because of COVID and the lockdown, aside from mental health, physical health has declined, I think, with a lot of us, not just in the comm center. So to bring that focus back around, I think, is a great thing and a great goal for 2022. So very Thank nice. You. We'll see if we're successful. Yeah, <laughs> it would be nice if we could uh, be without masks in 2022 as well, but we'll see where that goes. Um, so where do you see the path of 911? Um, in the last 20 years, there's a lot of different career paths with CTO and the response team. Um, it, it seems like it's just expanding to so many different horizons. Um, where do you see things changing and, and focusing? So one of the exciting opportunities that I see coming is with the uh, next gen 911 being implemented in more and more uh, centers and hopefully with national funding here coming up, um, we have the opportunity to receive pictures and video and other kinds of data into the center. And I implore agencies to think about how to thoughtfully implement these technologies because there are a lot of really good 911 professionals out there who have no desire to see that, right? They, they got into 911 because they didn't want to see the things that are in the field or smell the blood or whatever, um, which is totally fine. I don't want to drive those people out. So I think one new career path that's going to happen is going to be data analyst or some other title along those same things where their sole responsibility is to look at cameras or to look at videos that are coming into the center or look at those pictures um, and be working either in the comm center or adjacent to the comm center where they're able to focus and put that same information into CAD. There's examples of this being done around the country. Um, some of them are infusion centers that work with lots of comm centers around them, and some of them are co-located in the comm centers. Um, but either way, I think public expectation and responder expectation is going to be that pictures and video become a thing in the comm center. And for those who want to see that information, I think that's a great new career path and a new skill set that they could be using. Um, I think GIS, um, along with NextGen 911, GIS is going to be huge. And so for people who are really technically oriented, uh, uh, becoming a GIS specialist specifically for the 911 center, that's going to be a great new career path. Um, or cybersecurity experts, we're going to need lots of those in the NextGen 911 world. Um, resiliency coordinators and mental health care in the comm center specifically, I think is going to become more, I'm so, I'm so happy to see that becoming a thing, but 
I think that's become, going to become more and more popular. And I think centers might either start having their own mental health coordinator or maybe double up or partner up with some regional comm centers opportunity and share someone who is responsible for caring for uh, the mental health wellness of their people. And they might go around to different PSAPs and do that for all of them. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity to expand and grow your career growth opportunities. Um, some people want to be a supervisor and some people don't. So can they lead groups within the comm center that still challenge them that isn't necessarily a supervisor commitment? Or can they be working, can they be a subject matter expert in the technology? And, you know, they're, they're a CAD subject matter expert or they're a telephone subject matter expert or those kinds of things. Um, training coordinators. There's just so many ways that we can rethink how we're doing things in the communication center um, that will help people gain new skills and stay involved in 911 that still challenge them so they don't become stagnant in their role. And then, of course, there are people that love coming to work and taking calls and going home and they don't want to do anything else and they are really good at it. And we have to make sure that we support those people, too, and don't force them to be outside their comfort zone if that's not what they want, because that's a level of support as well. Well said. I, I think um, finding your talent pool and then allowing people to specialize in what they like, be it GIS or IT or training, and giving them the opportunities to grow if they want to within the comm center, or if they want to remain a call taker, dispatcher, and not take on any additional roles, there's also room for that. And there's this is with our CAD systems, it's computer-aided dispatch. And you can't dispatch without a thinking, feeling person because every call you take is a little bit different and it's difficult to write protocols for every single call. So retaining those people who have the knowledge that, that they gain year after year after year and building upon it, I think is essential as well. Sounds like Grand Junction and Colorado is leading the way in the field here uh, in our world. So I applaud that and I think that um, what you're doing in promoting the professionalism of this job and bringing us to the first first responder role is essential. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, it's been great learning everything about your organization. Okay, not everything, but many things about your organization and the great work that you're doing um, is awesome. Well, I appreciate you having me and thank you for the opportunity. And I want to say one final thing, which is um, one, we're hiring. Um, and two, I, I think that we're doing a really good job, but I also want to acknowledge that 911 centers everywhere are struggling to recruit and retain people. And so I want to say that we're all in this boat together. And I think the more that we can come together and leverage our, our strengths as PSAPs and share each other's best practices, um, we're all trying to find really good people and retain really good people. And 
I just encourage anybody who's feeling like they're having a hard time to know that it's not just you and to reach out to your local Nina and APCO chapters. Um, APCO's got um, message boards that are full of this topic of retaining and retention right now. Um, Nina is having that same conversation. And I think the more that we can help each other out and share ideas and opportunities and best practices, the better. Because um, we're all in it together. I mean, we have we have busted our rear ends trying to recruit this year, and we are still down eight positions. So, wow! I feel for everybody who's doing the same thing, and just know that I have a ton of respect for everybody who's trying to do that. Agreed. Zach, do you have any final words? That was awesome, for that you know. Throughout this whole rough time of our COVID pandemic and this potential everybody in our first time in the public safety industry, it's a sad reality. But if we have to keep pushing through it, hopefully, you build a bunch of grassroots movements to uh, bring awareness back to what you did uh, with the training program at the office. Well, again, Jennifer, thank you so much for uh, being with us today and talking about uh, all the amazing things you've been doing for the last couple of years. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been great to talk to you both today. Uh -huh.